0: Hello and welcome to the Rubber Duck Dev Show. I'm Chris. I'm Creston. And tonight we get to talk about REST versus GraphQL, the pros and cons. Uh, And I have I've done a lot of REST APIs, never messed with GraphQL, so teach me, Sensei. All
1: right, well, before we get rolling, we are going to talk a little bit about kind of like the stuff that we've worked on this week, just to give the viewers a kind of taste, a flair for kind of what what we do during the week, other than what we talk about. So I'll go ahead and go first. I practiced for my
0: gold medal in the thumb twiddling championship. Does that count?
1: Yeah, yeah, you get a lot done that way, I see. Yeah, so. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll I'll kind of go first this week. So some of the stuff I've worked on is an integration of a third-party GUI, a graphical interface email builder, into my app. Uh, So basically, if you know me, you know how much I love front-end programming. Not. So therefore, (laughs) this was a way to avoid front-end programming and just do API work to integrate this third-party graphical user interface email builder into my application. So got that up and working. Uh, Also, it brought up the question because in doing this API, there were certain calls that were not me just interfacing with their API, but also things were calling from their application back to mine, given the particular integration I had. And, That had me thinking a lot about how I've been very unhappy when I've had to work in a development environment and I got to receive traffic to validate that what I'm coding is correct. So what I mean is like when you develop an API, you expect certain traffic to come in for it, meaning you're writing the API that will be consumed by someone else. Mm Now, if you're writing your own API, it's pretty straightforward. You're going to expect this input and you're going to get this output. So it's easy to do testing. Like you could do it interactively with curl. You could use test-driven development to do it quite easily. But when dealing with new APIs that are contacting yours, if their documentation isn't super superlative you kind of get a question of, all are, right, what are, exactly are they going to be sending me? Or you basically have to trust in documentation, do everything, and then deploy it to actually receive traffic from the actual API. Ugh. Because there's no way, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but you know this is just a frustration I dealt with this week. But you know there's no way. Because like when I fire up a development environment, it is on port 3000 on local host, or you could make it something else, redirect it from something else, but it's that's my development environment. I don't have a live on the internet that can accept traffic. So if I'm doing development work with something that needs to receive traffic, I won't know it works until I deploy it. Have you ever dealt with that?
2: Or... Um.
0: Yes, it, I mean you can set up in my dev environment. Mm-hmm. I have set up like a an nginx server, um, with Puma behind that, it and running to accept stuff.
1: But that means you have to now put your machine on the internet or redirect it somehow. To yeah, mm-hmm. I mean there's no other alternative other than running an actual Maybe you don't call it development, but you call it some other environment that's not staging Yeah, and deploy to that. but then that's a whole other environment to set up. And...
0: Right. And I've done that too, set up an a API test environment. We didn't call it that, but that's essentially what it was. Um, because you're right, there's not a lot of good options for that. You can do some stuff like... I know in Linux, you can do some weird redirection stuff with local hosts and things to, to kind of move stuff around on different ports. But that's, A, my experience with that has been it's a bit flaky, and B, it's a pain in the butt.
1: Yeah, I mean, I didn't know of a solution that was easy or an accepted solution. And frankly, I didn't do a lot of research in, into it, but I was just kind of like, anything I thought of, I wasn't happy with. So I guess for any of the audience members, if you have any ideas on how to solve this particular problem, just leave a comment for us and we'll take yep. a look at it. <laughs> yep.
2: Well, that
0: sounds more exciting than what I did all week. I spent all week refactoring a, a, a very large set of uh, sidekick jobs into more manageable chunks. So I, I spent the, weak refactoring mostly
1: now you broke them up into smaller chunks or like made the jobs well, small jobs
0: smaller jobs
1: okay so as opposed to a job doing 15 steps it does 5 steps or something right, like that. right
0: and tried to pull okay. some of the logic back up from a job because you really shouldn't have a lot of logic in sidekick jobs it's not really what it's built for you can do it, but you probably shouldn't. Um,
1: you mean in the job itself, there was a lot of code, as opposed to like a Ruby class that the job just calls.
0: Well, yeah, it, and also the fact that it was performing a lot of logic inside the job, which
1: right. So it's to me, I'm hearing that I'm kind of thinking it's like a rake task where a rake task has a hundred lines of code. Versus you've written a Ruby class that has a public method and a rake task has one line that says, call this Ruby class to run that is that what you mean? Well, it was mind?
0: more than that. It, it was the fact that regardless of the architecture, the, the, um, the job, the sidekick job was actually running a lot of code, a lot of logic inside the job. Um, and you know pulling stuff out of databases and stuff like that so it was it was a bit messy and it was doing it for several different things so it just it was kind of a monolithic job that needed to be broken up and refactored out to tiny
1: things so okay all right um so Some other things I worked on is uh, working with some clients to do some Ruby on Rails upgrades, uh, working with some clients to do some uh, Ansible application deployments. And then uh, in terms of Postgres consulting, uh, worked with a client to do um, snapshot backups using AWS EBS snapshots, so doing up the database using evs snapshots as opposed to the standard postgres tool set which is what i typically use so
0: how did that work
1: um well essentially i usually use the postgres tools because a lot of people use them so they're probably you know they're reliable so i always use the P- postgres tool chain but for their specific use case um they felt this was a better solution because one advantage of snapshots is that at least the EBS AWS snapshots is that you can back up and restore much faster than using the postgres toolchain but you kind of lose the ability to do point in time recovery so you can just recover to the point at which the snapshot happened whereas with you when you're using the postgres toolchain you can basically restore to this exact second if you want to. But it takes long, you know, your time to back up is longer, your time to recovery is longer, but it's much shorter and probably consumes less disk space doing these snapshots the way they do incremental snapshotting.
0: On Um, the EBS, you mean?
1: On the EBS, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, And basically, there's a technique where you can use... Uh, send a command to basically prep the database files for a backup, and then you just copy the directory. So essentially I just use those same tools do us and then do a snapshot of the directory and say, okay, the backup's done. Cool. Cause really you're just taking a backup of the data files. So yeah, and that in the testing seemed to work, so. Well,
0: holy crap, your week is a lot more exciting than my week.
1: Well, maybe a little bit more variety of this way. And then, you know, some of this has spilled over and it's combined work. So I may sound like a broken record <laughs> next, next week because I'm <laughs> continuing to work on some of this stuff. But
2: yeah. Anyway. Well, it's, yeah.
0: It's funny that, like, I, I, I don't know about you, but I have weeks that are like, I'll do 100 different things one week. And then the next week, I, it's one big project.
1: Yeah. The, yeah and that's. This week has been a lot of little things. It'll still probably be those same things minus a few things next week. And then I'll have one thing. All I did was this. <laughs> All right.
0: Speaking of one thing, let's get into the marquee topic for tonight. All Graph right. QL versus rest. The fight is on. <laughs> ding, ding.
1: All right. So... Just a little bit of history for talking about this. And we think of different topics. You know, we've written up different topics we want to talk about. And this was one of them. And I said, well, I've recently, for my app, needed to do a new API for a particular purpose. And I was thinking about doing REST, but I kind of said, hmm, for this use case, I think I may want to do go the GraphQL route because I know the GraphQL is the new hotness. Rest is circa, you know, two thousand when the, you know,
2: when the, the dinosaurs it,
1: when the idea <laughs> of it came out. So basically, I needed an API, and I chose to go the GraphQL route, and I'll talk a little bit about that uh, later as to why, um, as opposed to the the REST route. Now, well, I mean, I'll say why I did it. Ultimately, I because of the level of hierarchical data that needed to be transferred. So, you know, my application uses a Postgres database. has a lot of tables. And when somebody wants to export a certain set of data, they're gonna be touching multiple tables. And representing that in a flexible way, GraphQL, I think, wins on that front. You can, particularly when you're dealing with hierarchical data, you can definitely still do it in a REST, but I think it affords more flexibility. And I think the hope is better performance or less load on your system. So we'll kind of talk a little bit about that. So in terms of what I usually like to look at in terms of this is looking at definitions first. So what is REST? REST stands for representational state transfer, Blech. which you, I think if you ask anyone, what's a REST API Do you, that's not the first thing they think about. Again, this is one of these concepts that came around on, in the close to the birth of the web but, you know, around 2000, but the way I think about it, it's a way to basically do CRUD actions, essentially. You wanna create something or read something or update something or delete something. CRUD. CRUD. Um, but of course, with the rest, you don't use those specifically you use gets posts and deletes and maybe some apis support put or patch and i always have to look this up i never have
0: personally but
1: yeah i mean i never have either but you know if you want to follow the standards presumably if you're doing just updating specific thing you could do patch or in some cases put but so anyway, so a REST API is basically separated into resources. So it a lot of times is probably representative of a major table in your application. So if you have users, you probably and you want people to access those users from your API, you're going to have a, a user uh, endpoint essentially, or a user resource. And if they have addresses, maybe you have an address resource to pull those addresses or if you have a orders, you know, essentially everything is broken into resources that are essentially URLs that you can access to pull data or post new data. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> the original REST has like six guiding principles. One of them being it's basically a client server interaction. So the server contains the data and the client accesses it. Uh, The next thing to keep in mind with REST is that it's stateless. So any particular communication doesn't impact any future communication. There's no state transferring between different requests. Um, It's cacheable, so you can uh, be able to cache results and you can receive cached results. Uh, The other things are like a uniform interface. So it's going to be consistent across the different resources. It's a layered system, so you can layer things and a code on demand which is considered optional where you could i think this is just a concept from 2000 where you could download scripts or applets to do you know certain functionality but basically that's those are the kind of the guiding principles of of rest now in my opinion rest is rest apis are relatively easy to create to think about and to develop your own for others to consume. And it's also relatively easy to think about. You want to access it to pull information or to post information to use someone else's API. Um, And they are flexible. So it's, it's not as rigid. You can kind of develop them many different ways. I mean, yes, there's a general standard, but I think you have flexibility on the design side how you want to design them. Like I've seen many different ways to handle authentication Mm -hmm. with regard to, you know, rest, there's all sorts of different ones.
0: Right. So, so the big win for rest is simplicity.
1: I, I think so. I think it's relatively simple to build an API. Although I will say it may not win out on simplicity depending once you get once you need to start accessing multiple resources to build out Betty, you need, I'd say that's where this simplicity starts to break down.
0: Well, I would say that it's that from the consumption side, it's going to be simpler. To f-
1: Unless that, but that's what I'm saying. Well, from the assuming,
0: assuming that I've done my job right and I've built nice APIs for you and haven't made you say, okay, you got to go get this object. And then you got to make another one to get this. I give you the whole bundle because I expect you to do it, to, to well, get it. All. Right.
1: I mean, so, but, yeah, but it's, it's the simplicity breaks down if the AP, API is not designed that it has everything you need yeah. and you need to have, make multiple calls to go and get what you need.
0: Right. But I would call that more of a design problem than a REST problem. That's bad programmer. (laughs) Slap hand.
1: (laughs) Well, but it means a lot of iteration. Like if someone says, oh, I need this additional column. Okay, I need to add it to the API or, oh, I need this particular thing. Oh, I need to add, you know. I would say there's the potential for more back and forth. Oh,
0: that's definitely a thing I deal with a lot (laughs) because we have complex API and lots of them and man it's you know a, a consumer says hey i need this piece of data okay well let's go add this piece of data hey i need you to send it okay well let's go add this and it's yeah you're right it gets a little stupid sometimes
1: yeah yeah and i guess you could say it's more it's more rigid once it's constructed,
0: right. This is this is how you call it, and this is what you're gonna get. Yeah. Period. Yeah.
1: So now to contracts that with GraphQL. So as opposed to REST, which deals with multiple resources generally that you're gonna consume with GraphQL, with different I would say different endpoints or different URLs to access different resources, GraphQL just has one endpoint usually. And it's usually called GraphQL, like slash GraphQL, because you can think GraphQL as a, like if you're familiar with SQL, structured query language for querying a database, you can think of GraphQL as a query interface using JSON. I know that's probably nobody's cup of tea talking about it that way, <laughs> but that's essentially what it is so you just deal with one endpoint you just it's like as if it's as if you're making a connection there if you're using uh the right development environment and you just send a query comprised of json and it returns json based upon what your query says so if you could bring up the first um page wait
0: we're doing we're using graphql to write sql and return a JSON, are there any other acronyms we're going to need to know in this process? Sure. <laughs> Good
1: grief. <laughs> With programmers and so, their acronyms. So, so this, this example above just shows a REST API where, like you said, if you didn't build it the way someone might expect, you would have a user resource and you access that user resource to pull the user in, and then, oh, you need the address. Now you're going to send another request to the address resource to pull the address for that user.
0: And what I've just replicated for my end user is an N plus one problem, which is what we're constantly fighting against on the inside on our queries and stuff.
1: Yep. So so that's an example of REST, but how GraphQL handles it, there's this one endpoint, and you can see it's post GraphQL. And you have defined queries that you're going to be querying the system with. Now, this is a user query. And you can see that that params ID 1 says, just give me the user where the ID is 1. And you can define what data you want to return back. So you want the name, and you can get the address in a nested JSON here. So with this one query, you can pull that back. If there are orders for that user, you could, as long as the API is data model structured that way, you can get all the orders for them and all the products that they purchased and you know everything within this one endpoint. You can just continue nesting JSON to get what you need.
0: Now, on the surface, it would look like GraphQL is going to be, oh my God, complicated for the end user, the consumer of this thing, is REST is so much of a simpler call. but And I was kind of wrestling with that when I was looking into GraphQL. And then I got to thinking, well, A, we have to make the assumption that people that are writing stuff against an API are programmers or have at least some programming skill, and they have to understand JSON because that's what they're getting back anyway. Yeah. So
1: so it's basically the query that you're sending matches the return data you're going to receive so it even makes it you know a little bit simpler to reason about what you're going to get right now the benefit of this is that th- that graphql touts is that number one it avoids overfetching. so you're not going to usually fetch too much because you can define exactly what records you want and only the columns that are of interest. And then as long as your GraphQL libraries are designed appropriately, appropriately, it will send those proper SQL calls to the database. So as opposed to like a REST interface, where you're probably like, oh, you want another column? OK, add that in. Oh, another column? OK, add that in. Um, essentially, you've defined your whole data model of every column that you want people to have access to, and then they choose which ones they wanna pull in.
0: Right. And so I could I could make the universe of 60 columns in my user table, but this particular client only ever has a need for four of them. So why pull the others?
1: Exactly. And it also avoids <clears throat> uh, the multiple API calls. Now, uh, that's a good counter that, to this that you could have always designed to show the addresses as part of your user resource.
0: Yeah, but then then what ends up happening or what has always happened for me is a customer says, yeah, but I want a user endpoint that just gives me user information. I don't want all the addresses for this part. So yeah. I end up building them both anyway.
1: Yeah, and and then your... Again, then you get a problem of overfetching because if someone, if you've built that in and then someone's querying the user and they don't want the addresses, well, then you've just put a burden on your system that is unnecessary.
0: Right. And and theirs as well, because they have to get the JSON, parse it all apart. It's four times as big as they need it to, to be. And
1: Yep the now how i think or th- i think the reason primarily that this primarily that this exists is because of the separation between front end and back end developers because as opposed to external consumers of apis like i think it's a more recent phenomenon that people are using this as their public api for their applications right. that's for public consumption a lot of the because we'll get into this, but a lot of the tooling is even more internally focused than I would say externally focused. So, the, so one benefit they're talking about the GraphQL in terms of this breakdown, where you have in the say in the same organization, you have front end devs and back end devs. The back end it requires much less communication to maintain a GraphQL API because you have that less back and forth of, oh, what do we put in the API, what what resources, and you just have one uh, endpoint and you put everything available in there. Mm -hmm. So there doesn't have to be a lot of communication, uh, less communication, or you have less communication back and forth. The the other thing that the GraphQL has is a strict schema that lists, all the possible queries, the data models, and then the mutations. So I didn't talk a lot about this, but the basically the in terms of CRUD act excuse me, in terms of CRUD actions, the create, update, and delete, basically anything's changed in GraphQL, they call it a mutation. Mm-hmm. So basically there is a strict schema you set up to define what is accessible over this API. So even though your user's table may have 60 columns, you say they can only access 30. right? And the data types are this. And then you can even create derived data types using functions that say, calculate something in some way. Um, the other benefit of GraphQL is that it has built-in documentation. So every field you define in this schema Every query you define, you can add comments to it. And this makes it really easy, particularly in some of the development environments, to have the API documentation right alongside what you're querying and what your results are. So, like, I don't know about you, but anytime I deal with a REST API, I'm in my development environment. I'm looking at some uh, results like a terminal or something as well as the API documentation. Mm -hmm. And I'm constantly jumping back and forth. Whereas here, the documentation is built in and the good development environments actually present that documentation in a very readable format that's searchable. Now you can also, they call the process of introspection to actually, you can actually send queries to the GraphQL API and it will return what it knows about its schema, the available queries, et cetera. But that's not as easy to read as the, the things that build the documentation for you.
0: Oh, well, I'm sure.
1: Yeah. the The other interesting thing about GraphQL APIs is that they always return a status code of two hundred unless it's a five hundred where something just
0: <laughs> couldn't couldn't contact.
1: Yeah, dump, dumps its core or something. But um, because basically, if there's any errors with your query, it returns a two hundred and it returns JSON saying, "Hey, these are what the errors were in the query you sent."
0: That that's actually kind of nice. I well. Yeah,
2: I'm a little I,
1: undecided on I'm that a, one. But. Yeah,
0: because it, if it always returns a 200, then what I have to do is I have to parse apart the JSON and look to see if there's any errors and have code in there to do that instead of just catching return codes. Yeah. So eh, I'm not sure I'm terribly excited about that particular bit, but that's, you know, kind of. Not that big a deal, I guess.
1: All right. So, anyway, so those are kind of the differences. And like I said, I went ahead with the GraphQL API, and this was going to be a public API that, you know, my customers would be consuming. It's not internal. So, you know, I guess time will tell how it goes. Um, in terms of building it, I think learning the nomenclature and learning kind of how and where everything fits—that was a much harder to do than setting up a REST API. Mm-hmm. But once I got it working, I was like, okay, I kind of, you know, I kind of understand how it's how it's working, and I'm not even dealing with mutations. <laughs> I'm just dealing with, you know, pulling data. It's a read only. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's read only right now. So, um, so far I'm happy with it, but you know, I guess time will tell, but it, but it was quite easy to basically present one interface where they can kind of pull all the data they want to with one query and they can just define what they need.
2: Well,
0: and conceptually this seems a little easier to me to maintain from from the programmer's standpoint, because there's only one endpoint that I have to deal with. And so if I have an, an issue with my API, I've got one place to go. And I don't have to do a bunch of, oh, which API was it? Well, where is that? Well, where's the code for that? Where's the... So it, it seems like once you get past the learning curve, that this is going to be long-term, an easier maintenance scheme.
1: I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) And it's also kind of on, you know, for using a pun, on Rails. In other words, there's kind of one way to do it, whereas designing a REST API, there's a lot more possibilities for how you design it, I would say.
0: Okay, so I found this example of a uh,
2: schema, and that you were talking about before, and it's actually
0: it's more than I was understanding because you can expose like actual query functions that they can call. Apparently.
1: Yeah, that's why I was saying it. it I I mentioned on multiple points. It's not only the data model, but it's also the different types of queries and what parameters are permissible for those queries.
0: Yeah, and there's an example of mutation, but it's it's all typed so they know, like you were saying, it's all in there, which is really nice.
1: And then you put, and this doesn't have any comments, but there's particular places where you put the comments and then it can, and what's really great is that if you're using some of these IDEs, number one, it has the, comments that you put in that describe everything, as well as when you're typing out, it like autofills and kind of knows it's using this to know if you're an author and you type N, it knows it can autofill it to name, because hmm. that's the what exists there.
0: Because it's in the schema.
1: Yeah. And the IDEs are reading that schema to know what's in there.
2: Nifty. I like GraphQL. so it's a lot
1: easier. So that's what I was saying in terms of consumption. Once you start consuming a GraphQL GraphQL API, once you start getting a little bit more complex, like if you're going to use REST to have to pull multiple resources to get the data you need, that's when a GraphQL starts winning out on simplicity.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, for, okay. So for me if I was a consumer and I had my choice, I'd pick GraphQL, but also I'm a programmer, so that's an easy pick for me because I already know JSON and I understand all the benefits of being able to only get the things I want to get. How hard of a sell do you think this is to your your Kind of the, the big set of API consumers that are out there. Is this something we'll that's? See. I mean, I guess my question is, what kind of what kind of market saturation is this getting? Are people adopting this pretty pretty broadly?
1: A lot of very popular applications, I can't think of it right now, have started implementing GraphQL APIs um now predominantly it's, i mean but these are for developers so you know you know it's not for end users so presumably the developers that's going to be interfacing with this should have some basic knowledge before they do it
0: right well i mean but but like i like i pointed out before even if you're anybody who's interfacing with an api has got to have some kind of basic programming knowledge right yeah. so i uh, But I'm just wondering how how well this is taking off in the ecosystem, and from an external point of view, and how long it's going to be till it's kind of saturating past rest.
1: Well, I mean, I'm hearing more and more applications. I can't think of one right now that that have developed these. GraphQL APIs.
0: Well, ninety nine designs, Orango, AfterShip, Airbnb, Amplitude.
2: Holy crap, there's a lot. GitHub, Lyft, PayPal.
0: Yeah. Okay. It's being adopted.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) So it's kind of like... There you go. It's where people are eventually going for some of the benefits. So. I mean, it makes sense.
0: And, And honestly, I'm kind of wondering, is there a use case where I would say, no, GraphQL isn't good for this. I should use REST instead. I can't think of one off top of my head.
1: I mean, unless you have something super simple or if you can't, because here's the thing is that you definitely want a solid GraphQL library to do this. Like I use the GraphQL, I think it's called the GraphQL gem in my Rails application. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think Phoenix or Elixir has absinthe. I think that's what they're, so you want a good reliable library if you're going to, cause I can't imagine programming this myself. Oh God. No. So as long as you have, but and that's the thing, it's easy to code something in the rest style. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, if you want to, for whatever your use case, you want to roll your own, then go rest. Or if it's super simple, you can just go rest. Because you're going to have to introduce and in, you know the additional libraries to to support this GraphQL API stuff,
0: right? Because the the REST API is is no more mechanics than your normal web endpoints that you're using for your stuff anyway. It's just that it has API in front of it usually. Yeah. So there is yeah I mean yes there's the learning curve. Um, but assuming you're building any kind of decent sized functional system, I can't think of a reason. Okay. Assuming I know how to do both of them, right? I've already gotten yeah. past the learning curve. Yeah. I can't think of a use case where I would choose rest over GraphQL. And if my thing is small enough to where I don't want to bother with it, I probably don't have much of an API anyway. So, yeah. I'm just so viewers, if you can think of a use case where eh GraphQL not that big a deal, I'd rather use REST in this use case. Let us know cuz I would like to know. I have no idea.
1: And if for whatever reason you don't want to return JSON or something like that.
0: Well, who wouldn't want to return JSON? I mean, what are you going to return, XML?
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just saying you could do whatever you want to with it. I mean, a REST is not, you know, well, a REST type, a RESTful type interface. You can have it do anything, basically. So,
0: Yeah, but I mean, true. I've never seen it do like, anything just, other than... Well,
1: I mean, I just interacted with an API that what it returned was a raw image.
0: Oh, well, see, now there's a use case. Can you do that with GraphQL? I don't know how. (laughs) Well, there you go. So rest, rest isn't going to die until GraphQL can handle images.
1: (laughs) Or any sort of file or whatever.
0: Huh. Interesting.
1: Now, I did also want to mention some of the development environments because that's the thing that makes working with this so much easier. So, the one that was bundled with the graphQL gem I used was Graph IQL. Mm-hmm. And if you want to bring up the image there so so this is from uh, GitHub, but if could you zoom in this that's- image a little? That's as soon as it gets. Okay. So basically, it's presented in three panes. If you've opened the documentation, the left pane is the queries you're writing. So, what you're sending to the GraphQL interface. The middle pane is the result set. So, whenever you click the, you know, the triangle, the play triangle up the top left, it'll send the query and it will show you the results in the middle pane and then the right pane sorry the right pane is all the documentation so it's hyperlink documentation that you can look at the query look at the different data types you know if there's an addresses you can click on addresses and then see oh what are all the different columns and the data types returned in those addresses so it makes it very easy to work so
0: i've seen a lot of really slick nifty rest api documentation online but never anything close to this.
1: Yeah, I mean that's the thing I was saying is that when I'm doing working with a REST API, I always have the documentation open in a browser window to keep con- going back and forth whereas here it's it's all there and it's a defined documentation set. So basically whatever it's part
2: of
1: it's part of the interface of GraphQL. So once you switch from one API, API to another, the documentation will be presented in the same way, as opposed to right now, every API you interact with with different providers is going to have a different set of documentation and laid out differently. And you got to essentially learn and under- understand the documentation,
2: hmm. whereas GraphQL, it'll all present it in the same way. You know
0: what? <laughs> I bet sorry, my wheels were spinning. I bet graphQL can handle images. If it if it converts them to binary, the same way you would send them with email. Cuz you can convert an image to a string. That that's how emails do it.
1: Yeah, I mean you could base64 it or something yeah. like that, I guess.
0: So, I That'd be kind of big, but I don't don't guess it would be any bigger than sending the actual image. But ha ha, ha ha, it can handle it. I bet you, bet you. It depends on how you store it.
1: Yeah, I don't know how the libraries handle super large amounts of data.
0: All right, GraphQL, figure this out so I can stop using REST. (laughs) It's all I'm saying.
1: So um so now this is an IDE, but the thing about this this IDE is that it requires for you to have a running web browser. So
0: that, that doesn't seem like a big ask.
1: Let, let me rephrase it. A running, I meant to say a running web server. Oh, that's different. Not a web browser. My apologies. <laughs> I meant a web <laughs> server. So basically this is great if in the scenario, like I was saying, when you're doing internal development and you have a client, a front-end team and a back-end team, it's quite easy to have this at an endpoint that they could consult and do queries against it. You know, So the tooling is great for that, but there's no easy way. I mean, <clears throat> I didn't want to open this up to allow, every public person to access our API through this query interface. I didn't want to have the responsibility for running this query interface. So I looked six ways till Sunday to try and find a IDE for GraphQL that did not require running a web server. And I only found one (laughs) and it was quite obscure. So that's the next link here. This is, I think it's Altair. Yeah, and obscure meaning, you know, it, it does look the same. It has the same again the three panel interface where you have your uh, queries you're writing on the left, results in the middle pane, and then the right pane's documentation. So I would say if if you're going to want to publicly consume the GraphQL API, I would maybe check out this client if you don't want to you know try to build and install and have a running web server for Graph IQL. Mm. I would try this out. Um, the other possibility is Postman does support. Have you ever used Postman? No. Yeah, so it's it's used a lot to my knowledge for REST APIs. It does have a, it does support GraphQL APIs, but I haven't seen it handle the documentation as nice as iGraphQL or Altair do that or Alter does. There are its schemas may have the ability to do something similar, but I don't know if Postman's there yet. But I know that's kind of like one of the big dogs in terms of, I guess I'll say in, in API IDE for whatever, for lack of a better term.
0: Yeah, so it looks like that this is their um, Postman's interface.
1: Yeah, so, so it works, a little, a little but there's, there's no, it doesn't have the documentation like Altair and iGraphQL do. Um, but this there's a schema feature that may support some of that um, or maybe it just gives you the ability to, as you type, know the data types. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure.
0: So, yeah,
1: it looks, I mean, it's
0: got some, so Postman supports this. I would say that its its interface, its UI is a little more rudimentary than the other two, uh, for sure. But I, I would personally prefer using one of the other two just based on looks. Um, but, hey, if you're a Postman person, there you go. It's in there. Use it. Know
2: it. Love it. Something like that. I don't it depends know. I if excited? you need to use it. <laughs> uh,
0: all right. Well, that's. I mean, I'm gonna have to start using GraphQL more. It's one of those things where I've done so many REST APIs that when that when that comes up, it's not even a thought process of should I use GraphQL or or REST. It's just I just d- do the REST API because that's what I'm used to doing is I don't even consider the other thing but um,
1: well I mean I think it's a decision point it's basically you use what if you're going to be a consumer of them look at what is provided from whom you're consuming it from and do they have a GraphQL or a REST and then you just choose based upon that I mean every you'd probably still going to be doing rest 90% of the time now and if you're the real decision comes when you need to build your own for an application what are you going to choose
2: yeah for sure so
0: well so that was the the big showdown between rest and graphql hope you guys enjoyed that if you did please make sure and mash the like button subscribe follow if you're seeing us on twitch um If you have questions about any of this stuff, please put them in the comments below. Also, if you have ideas for topics that you'd like to see us cover, put those in the comments below. Um, We have a list of topics that we're thinking about, but hey, if you want to see something, we'd love to know you'd want to see it. Yep. Um, Also, you can join us on rubberduckdevshow.com to sign up for newsletters, to see all the videos, to listen to the podcasts. Also, Podcasts are available on almost all of your favorite podcast platforms or on RubberDuckDevShow.com. We're still waiting for word back from Apple iTunes. Because it takes a while, Reasons. I suppose. <laughs> um, anyway. You can listen to it on the car ride to work if you want to. We're there to... Yeah, make yours bleed or something. I don't know. Anyway, uh, we'll be back next Wednesday at 8 p.m. with a, well, with a mystery topic.
1: Another mystery topic, because we don't know. Or... Yeah,
0: it's been a couple busy weeks. We haven't had time to do a whole lot of planning ahead. But, yeah, we'll get there. It's fine, chat. Don't worry about it. Um. Anyway, we'll, we'll be back next week. Wednesday, 8 p.m. Eastern time. We hope to see you there. And until then, happy programming.
2: Bye. Bye.